0: Oh, it's a joy to be here with you this morning. It's a joy to be able to come and continue in the story of Joseph and just the unfolding of this. And today I get the the pleasure of talking through, honestly, mostly chapter 40 of Genesis, which is in this story of Joseph, um, kind of where things begin to turn just a little bit. And... Um, as we get there, I'm just going to take a few minutes to read through chapter 40, and actually we're going to start at Genesis 39:20 20 through 23, just to recap for a second. So if you have your Bible, or if you have a device with scripture on it, you can follow along. And I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to go through some of this, and you're going to be on the journey with me today. We'll see how it goes. So Genesis thirty nine twenty says this, Joseph's master took him out and put him in prison. Of course, we know this is after Potiphar's wife accused him of rape and uh, put him in prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now we're on to chapter 40. Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and the clusters its clusters ripened into grapes. The Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to, used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. Anyone ever experienced? it? Oh, well, good. He's going to have my Dream had three days in it, too. This is going to be great. I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. This is a cheerful little passage of scripture. And the birds will eat at your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. What a thing to do on your birthday. I just want to give that commentary. What do you want to do on your birthday this year, Drew? Impale a baker on a stick. (laughs) Don't do it. Uh, It was his birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. We're going to pause there. I want to go back to one of the first statements of this chapter. The first three words of chapter 40 says, Some time later. That is one of the biggest understatements, I think, that we can make in this passage of Scripture. Um, in my research, to, just so you understand, what I want to focus on today is not all the the, the stuff of him interpreting dreams, or even in chapter 41, where it goes on to, him remembering him two years after he forgot him and bringing him in front of Pharaoh, and basically Joseph gets lifted up into this place of high authority. I don't want to focus on any of that. I want to focus on some time later. Three little words. So, in my research to understand how much time passed in some time later, I had to go to basically some rabbinical writings from the second century. I know, just pleasure reading. And according to these, it was basically an interpretation of the timeline of Joseph's birth all the way through the time of the famine. And based on this timeline, Joseph was roughly 17 years old when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. And he spent maybe roughly a year to maybe two years in service at Potiphar's house. He was about 30 years old when he was brought before Pharaoh. So between 17 and 30, that 13-year period is the time period that Joseph is thrown into the pit, enslaved, and then imprisoned. And all scripture says is, some time later. How many of you have ever felt that way with the Lord? (laughs) This is what I'm going to do for you, Drew. Really? When? Sometime later. Oh, crap. Because a day to the Lord is like a thousand years or, you know, whatever it is. Sometime later, thank you, Lord. Which this means that scripture jumps in its narrative about a decade in this time period where it mentions Joseph not only in this moment where he gets imprisoned and the warden gives him this authority, it jumps about 10 years to this point where it goes to his interaction with the baker and with the the cup holder. And then the baker forgets about him for another two years. So there's this time gap, this tension point, where Joseph, as we've already learned through the telling of the story, he knows his identity. God is pouring into him vision and dream and and hope for his future. And he has these promises from God. But he is waiting and waiting in this tension point of incredible injustice an incredible uncertainty. What do we do when we feel like God has forgotten us? What do we do when we feel like the promises are not coming true? What do our hearts and our character and our actions and our spirit, what does all of that do in contending with over a decade or more of pain And frustration, disappointment. How do we walk through that season and remain like Joseph? A man who trusted God's character and when the time came was ready. How do we keep our heart and our focus and our character in that place? That's what I want to focus on today. I know, a cheerful message for all of us who are just ready to be uplifted today. Well, honestly, for me, this is, this is a cheerful message. This is a cheerful message because it, it, I, I relate to it. A lot of you know my testimony. A lot of you know my, my story. I'm not going to go into all of it. And I know a lot of your stories having the privilege of sitting with a lot of people and hearing their pain and hearing their heartbreak and hearing the the wounds and the injustices given to them. I know a lot of stories in this room and out of this room. And so this is a cheerful message for me. Because what do you do in that time period, in that waiting, in the tension, in the in-between the promise and its delivery? You know, that 10 years, that 10 to 13 years, that silence, that's critical for us to understand as his people. It's critical for us to understand for our own walks with the Lord, for our own engagement with this world, and what God has called us and positioned us to do. It's critical for us to understand how do we walk through that and retain hope. So because scripture does not tell us specifically what Joseph did in those 10 to 13 years. We can't look at that story. We can only look at the beginning of it and the culmination of it to see where he started and where he ended up. And Ryan, you know, he preached beautifully over the last couple of weeks, and Kim preached beautifully three weeks back, and I preached beautifully earlier in the, in the series. And we know so much of the story, and, and Ryan talked about it beautifully over the last couple of weeks, of just like we know Joseph held on to his hope, but how? So we can't look at Joseph. We can't look at this story to know, but we can look at other characters and personalities in the scripture who faced similar things. And we can look how God dealt with them and what their character looked like. And we can divine from that and discern from that what it might mean for us when facing similar circumstances. Because God is consistent and his people, he interacts consistently with his people. He's There's not... There's not a lot of mystery in how God loves us and and works on us, and there's mystery in the details, but not in the themes and in how and what his character is going to do. And so I want us to go real quick first off to Psalm 142. Psalm 142 is a psalm written by David when he was in the cave. And if you don't know why David was in a cave, it wasn't for recreational purposes, You can read the story of how David ended up in the cave in 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 23. I'm not going to go into all of it. That is on you be a good student and figure it out. But what I can tell you is David found himself running from Saul and running from this unjust situation where God had also given David dream and anointing and calling and promise. And he was in the in-between And he was in the in-between with a king who despised him for that promise. And his own brokenness, insecurity, and probably demonic possession was dealing with a lot of desire to take David out. And so David found himself in a cave hiding. Can you imagine that tension point? It must have been similar to Joseph years before David in a pit and a dungeon waiting. And I can't imagine it's too much different than some of our own stories. Maybe the geography is different, but probably not the emotion. And David, in this Psalm 142, it's this cry out to the Lord. And here's what it says. Verse 1, Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I might praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. You know, David was bluntly honest with God about his situation and his circumstance. And it's because of that that I think that the first thing that I want us to take away from that to know, what do we do in the tension? What do we do between the promise and the delivery of the promise? What do we do when an injustice has happened and justice has not come? What do we do? Well, the first thing I think we have to do is be honest with God. Be honest with God about your circumstance, about your feelings, about your disappointment, about your hopes, about every single thing that comes up in your heart and mind. Be honest with God. Now, maybe some of us grew up in religious environments or or spiritual environments where in honesty, facing a circumstance, maybe we were ridiculed or, or rebuked for honesty as if honestly talking about what we're going through demonstrates a lack of faith. Right. Right. Or honestly talking about an injustice means that we're not godly or forgiving enough. Right. I want to say strong words here, but I'm on film. <laughs> so I will just say, that whatever that is that has crept into Christianity that says that we do not have full permission to be bluntly, brutally honest with God is a lie from the pit of hell. There should be more clapping. (laughs) God wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to go to him and to pour out our requests, to pour out our cries, to bring the injustices that we're facing to him, to bring our emotions and our pain to him. He is the only one that can truly do anything about it anyway. We have to go to him. We have to be brutally honest with God. Now, Ryan said something last week in his message And it's absolutely right. But because of what I just talked about, about this lie that crept into Christianity, I feel I need to qualify it a little bit. Ryan said that Joseph did not play the victim card. That's true. But I feel like we have to explain what playing the victim card means and what it does not mean. Playing the victim card in in, in what Ryan was saying is more along the lines of saying, this happened to me, therefore I am justified in any and all response. We have this pervasive thing in our culture. If I've been the victim, now I get my pound of flesh. I get to be bitter, I get to be angry, I get to be rude, I get to be disrespectful, I get to be harmful and hurtful. I get to do that because I've been wronged. No, we do not. I don't know where we lost the simplicity of two wrongs don't make a right, but it's still true. Playing the victim card says also that I get to compensate my wounds or my lack in whatever way I want to in order to feel full. And I'm sorry, but there's not a one of us in this room who hasn't done that. I won't call anyone specifically out except for myself. I have permission to do that. Playing the victim card sits in this victimness. And not only does it sit in that identity, but it takes all authority and power away from God to meet that injustice, to meet that pain, to meet that need, to meet that sin, or whatever it is. It takes all authority out of his hand to do anything about it and puts it in mine, which is so ineffective and so unhelpful. That's what playing the victim card means. What playing the victim card does not mean Is telling the truth about what happened to you. About telling the truth of how what happened to you affected you. About wanting justice to happen if there's been injustice. That's not playing the victim card, that's close to the heart of God. God hates injustice, He hates injustice. It is not playing the victim card to be able to say to God, this isn't fair. This sucks. This is painful and horrible and I hate it. It is not playing the victim card if you've been the victim of abuse to say, I want the truth to come out and justice to happen. I felt really compelled by the Lord that I needed to bring this up because, again, we, a lot of us, have been steeped in this culture, this religious culture, that says telling the truth about negative things means we're not faithful or not trusting or not joy filled or whatever the crap that is. It's not true. And we see in Joseph from his own mouth, in verse 14 of chapter 40, when he gives the interpretation to the cupbearer. He says this, remember me when all goes well for you and show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here, I've done nothing to deserve this. Get me out. That's the cry of Joseph. Not a victim, wants justice. We have to tell the truth to God about what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. And by the way, if you are uncomfortable about engaging negative or painful emotions with the Lord, go get the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and read it 500 times till you get over that nonsense. Okay. In the interest of time, I will move on because I'm emphatic about this stuff. The second thing we need to do that I believe, again, that Joseph no doubt was doing and that others in the scripture have done in seasons between the promise and it coming true or the injustice and the justice is we need to constantly remind ourselves who God is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103 and it starts like this, praise the Lord O my soul and All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, on my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He who forgives all your sins, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. I love that scripture. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a car by myself, Alone in the dark, in a room by myself, alone in the dark, in a counseling room, all by myself or with a counselor or wherever it is. And I've had to say to myself outside the ICU when my daughter was sick for a month in the ICU, the Lord, he redeems, he restores I won't forget what he does and what he's done and what he will do. This week I was interviewed on a podcast. Uh, this is a podcast for people struggling with their faith. And I was sharing my story. And I was with this host and with this guest that was on there who was, you know, kind of antagonistic towards my story, which was a lot of fun. It actually was. I won her over. Yes, I did. I did. But as we were talking, as I was telling this story and telling my own story of of my struggle with my sexual identity and my struggle with feeling like, is this ever going to change? Am I going to be alone my whole life? Am I going to be, is anyone ever going to want me like years ago when I was a kid and I was wrestling and I was struggling and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what the future held and I still stayed in my faith and the host said, With all of that and with how the church had been treating and speaking about the LGBTQ community, which, by the way, if you don't know the story, go get my book and shut up. And (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that. Um, With all that, she said, with all the pain and all the uncertainty, why did you stay? Why didn't you just give up and go embrace a gay identity? Why, with all the pain and all the uncertainty and all of it, why did you stay? Because I know who the Lord is, and I know what he's done. I know how I've experienced him, and I know he's consistent in his character. And even though I didn't know how this would resolve, I knew him. And so I chose to stay. And I have to believe that in that 13 year period, Joseph had those moments. He had to have had those moments where he thought, okay, God, it's been another year. It's been another year. Been another five years, Lord. He could have chosen at any time to curse God and die. He could have chosen at any time just to be unfaithful. He didn't. Why? Because he knew who God was. And he had to have known who God was. You have to imagine, we don't get a lot of details of his childhood. We don't get a lot of details, but we know he was raised by Jacob slash Israel. And we know the interactions God had with him. And we know the interactions God had with Isaac. And we know the interactions God had with Abraham. And we know that those stories must have been pouring in because they did not have TV. And they did not have iPhones. They did not have TikTok. They had each other and their stories. You know he had been saturated his whole life with the stories of what God had done. And when he's sitting in a pit, and he's sitting there going, when, God, will you fulfill this promise? He had to think, well, my great-grandfather, he was 99 freaking years old when he finally had a kid. I guess God can do anything. Shoot. Shoot. He knew who God was. And we know who God is by reminding ourselves constantly, if you are struggling in a moment where you don't see the outcome, what has God done for you in the past? That's not blind faith. That's simply faith. And guess what? We're people of faith, which also means we're going to be sitting waiting for a long time for things. This is the deal. Get used to it. In the interest of time, I need to digress and move forward. The third thing that I know that we need to do is we need to seek to find joy, purpose, and opportunity where we are right now. Where we are right now. Joseph did not have, I mean, I don't imagine that when he had that first dream that got, you know, pissed off his brothers and got him thrown in a pit. There are these sheaves of wheat, and they all bow down to me. I don't think he had the full picture. I think he would have been a lot nicer to his brothers. But somewhere in that moment where he had that dream, without the maturity and without the testing and without the perseverance of the 13 years of trial, somewhere in that 13 years, he learned how to cling so closely to God that not only did he have the dreams, he could interpret them with maturity and accuracy. Because God tests us, not tests us as in pass or fail, but tries us, tests us, forms us, refines us in those moments of the in-between where we have gifting, we have calling, we have purpose, but we might lack character and maturity. And that's what the 13 years was for. Just in his life. God was also the most magnificent multitasker in the cosmos, so he was doing other things too. But for Joseph, he's refining his character because it's one thing to rule over 12 brothers. It's another thing to save an entire nation and region from famine. But in, the, in between, we see it in Potiphar's house. We see it in the prison. We see it with the baker and the, the, the cup holder. He is finding joy and purpose and opportunities right where he was, to trust God and step into his purpose and identity, even if it's not everything he wants right now, it's something. Every single one of us have those opportunities in front of us right now. And if you think for a minute God wastes anything, he does not waste a thing. My most miserable jobs I've ever had in my life, I learned skills I still use today. Would I ever want to be a McDonald's shift supervisor again? Hell no. Did I learn some things I still use today? Yes, absolutely. And in every circumstance and situation that we find ourselves, if we choose to engage with God right where we are, he forms us into who we're going to be. Exactly right for his character and his purposes. I don't know where we all are today. I know I'm in my own little period of waiting on certain things in my life and I know I need this message for myself today. I know that we all in 2020 and 2021 have been tested in multiple ways. So I don't want to read your mail and ask you where you are right now, but what I am going to ask you is how are you positioning your heart where you are right now? Are you honest with God? Do you have the freedom and permission to be bluntly honest with him? Are you choosing to recall and remember what he's done for you? Who he is and what he's done in the past and recalling the promises of what he said he will do? Are you finding the moments and the opportunities right now, here and now, to step into the things He's put before you, hey, Andy. If you and the, the team could come back up, when A- when Andy led that, when they led that song in the middle, um, I don't even know what the name of the song is. What is it? Move your heart. I sat back there and I thought, Oh God, this is the prayer we need today. This is the prayer we need today right in the moment where we are. Do you all understand and know that no matter what pit you find yourself in, you can turn it into a sanctuary of praise? Maybe not like that, but you can do it. (laughs) So I've asked Annie and the team to come back up because this is what I want us to do. I want us all just to close our eyes for a minute. And I want you with the Lord just to simply ask him, And you might already know, but where am I in the waiting, in the tension right now? Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to be reminded of right now about who you are and what you said you'll do? And then lastly, what opportunity do we have right now? What can I do right now? And the response that I want us to press into with the full knowledge of what you personally are wrestling with is the opportunity we have every moment of every day, and that is to worship and surrender to the God who will come through. So that's what we're going to do.
1: I just want to move your heart That's all I want to do I just want to stand in awe And pour my love on you No matter how much the cost I freely give it all to you I just want to move it's all I wanna do, right here in Your presence, God. It's where I will stay, oh, just to dwell in Your house, waste my hours and my days on You. Oh, on You, just draw me and stand. And is it a fragrance? pour my oil out is it a life laid down then right here I make my vow is it a song I sing then here's every melody tell me what moves you 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 is it a phrase? Then I'll pour my oil out Is it a life laid down And right here I make my vow Is it a song I sing That hears every melody Tell me what moves you Tell me what moves you Right where I'm at And I just want to move your heart all I wanna do I just wanna stand in awe and pour my love on you no matter how much the call
2: I freely
1: for these moments together today. Thank you for a God that works inside circumstances, but outside of them <laughs> and moves us through our lives. We choose the, the, real, the real way of living, which is you, Jesus. The one who's not giving us a heavy burden, the one who's teaching us to rest even in our work even in the things that are hard, even the things that we're processing, you give us rest in the midst of it. It's a new way of living and we enjoy it with you today, God. Lead us out to our friends, our families. We're the church, we're your church, we're your bride, we're your people, we're your apprentices, we're your followers, we're your disciples, we love you, Jesus. We wanna move your heart all over this valley, all over this nation, all over our homes our kitchen sinks, our tables. Out on the country road driving in the middle of the city, wherever we may be at. That's our dream with you today, God. And we say amen together. Have a wonderful day. It's gonna be pretty good. I think we got the blue skies coming. Thanks for coming in, guys. Church, amen.